Blind Coach Podcast. Steve Kerr, Pete Carroll, and Doc Rivers is our guest today. I can't imagine a better guest to have uh, this moment than Doc. Doc, thanks for uh, for coming on with us. Oh, thanks, guys. This is a pleasure for me. It's happening, Doc. What's going on, Pete? How are you? This is great, great for me to be with both of you guys. Well, we're lucky. We're lucky to have you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you. I, I, I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the many reasons we're happy to have you on. I mean, you, you've been you've been in the NBA since, what was your draft class, 82, 83? 83, yeah. 83, okay. 83, yeah. So you are wow. coming up on 40 years in the NBA. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, thanks, that Steve. Amazing. That makes me. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I, I don't know what that makes me, a survivor or old. What well, I'm right behind you, so. Uh, 900 plus eight. 900 something wins, man. I can't even imagine winning that many times. That's that's so freaking crazy. You won 100 games in the NFL and you did something. 900. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. We have, we have more shots at it than you, you know. I know. That's true. That's still that's still a lot of pregame talk, so, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, oh man. No man. doubt. But almost, yes. Yeah, so about 37 years in the league uh, as a player, broadcaster, uh, coach, president. Um, Without a doubt, one of the most prominent African-American coaches, not only in this country, but in the world. And I think somebody with a unique perspective on what's happening right now for a number of reasons. A lot of people may not realize it, but your father was a, a policeman in Chicago. Yeah. And then, of course, you and I think you and Adam Silver really led the way in 2014 with the Donald Sterling situation uh, with the with the Clippers and the whole question of his ownership after his racist comments became public. So, man, we got we got the perfect guest here today, Pete. We're uh, we, we got lucky. Uh, come on, Doc. Let, let let us let us have it. So, where, yeah, Pete, where, Pete, you start. Where do where do you want to where do you want to start? Where, where, what do you want to know? Well, I, you know, I'm. I think I'd like to hear Doc talk about just that. You've seen the league change so much from when you played, and it's it's such a, an iconic aspect of, of worldwide sports. I'd like to hear what you what you think about how the game has changed, you know, and how you've seen the whole growth of it, and kind of give us a little update where we are today. Well, you know, the game has changed dramatically from from when Steve and I first started to play. Uh, it's still basketball, just like it's still football. So at the end of the day, it's the same competition. Uh, the athletes are bigger, they're stronger, they're more skilled. Uh, I don't know if they have a better feel for the game than we did. I think we played more basketball uh, in general. We didn't have strength coaches. So we didn't, you know, it's funny, during the summers, we played basketball. We didn't waste our time on anything else except for playing basketball. And and I think at the end of the day, that helped us become more skilled and definitely become more skilled as far as team play. Uh, a lot of individual workouts now where we didn't do that. So I would say that's the change. Shooting is, is way better. Even though Steve was a great shooter, I was a below average shooter, uh, but I still shot and sometimes it went in. Uh, <laughs> as a player. Enough, yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it is different. I, I think the, the kids are different too. You know, I thought the last dance, you could see that in some ways. You know, we were just basketball players. Um, we didn't have a brand. We didn't have a lot of distractions. And I thought winning was so important for us when I was in the NBA uh, because there was nothing else really that you were playing for. You yeah. were playing, you know, other than your contract, you were playing to win a championship. And now these guys, they just have so many more distractions to pull them away from what the actual goal is of, of why we're playing. And I think it makes it different. I think it makes team building. Um, in my opinion, far more difficult uh, now than it was, you know, when I first started even coaching uh, and, and definitely playing. Yeah. How does that relate to what's happening right now, Doc, um, you know, socially, politically? When you and I were playing in the 80s and 90s, for the most part, uh, athletes weren't real outspoken. It didn't feel like the time called out for yeah. as much. Um, so how has that affected your, your job as a coach? And how, how do you look at uh, what's happening today with as far as your team and your, and your coaching staff is concerned? You know, it was interesting. Uh, first of all, we were not celebrities. 
we were, we were sports athletes and, and so we were sports stars and, and, and honestly, uh, that's when no one really wanted to hear from us unless, uh, you know, if you were a star, I think you could have a, a, a podium where you could speak your, your mind and people would listen a little bit. Uh, it's so different now. I mean, you can be the best player and the worst player in the NBA now, and you have a chance to be heard. And, you know, it's funny doing the Sterling thing and, and the exact same thing is happening now where I'm telling my athletes, speak what you feel, speak your truths, don't be a follower and don't become the news, you know? And so uh, that's what my fear was back when we played, uh, it was actually Golden State uh, with the Sterling stuff was, listen, uh, we're all upset. Uh, we're all offended by this, but whatever we say, let's not become part of the story. You know, uh, let the story still be what the subject is. You know, right now we're, we're, we're systemic racism. Uh, we are fighting that. Let's stay on that. Let's not you say something that now for the first next week, you become the news cycle on what you said instead of what's going on. I think it's still very important now. Uh, but guys, all of them have a voice now. And you know, when I played Dominique Wilkins, you know, I played with him. He may have had a voice, you know, and Patrick Ewan may have had a voice, but they didn't w- really want to hear from anyone else. Yeah, that, that is a big, di- that's a big difference in our world right now, isn't it? That the players have such a, like you're talking about the platform that they have. They, they've, and, and think about Doc, when, when you were playing back in the day, like your world was so consumed with being the ball player. These guys are being the ball player, but they're also being this like this other image that they have. How have they ever figured out how to expand all of that and still be great at their sport? You know, and and oh, when, when their time is so divided and their in their attention and focus and and concerns are so divided because the game is still played at such an extraordinary level of expertise and all. I bet back in the day we would never think, how could you have that much room for that kind of mentality and still be a great player? But dang on, they're they're there now and they're doing it and. It's something we have to learn how to balance with, with our players at all times. Yes, yeah, the distractions, though. I, I think about, and, and Steve, you were what, two or three, maybe four years behind me. I don't know. You may have been more. But this is what I remember, the change. In my eighth year in the NBA, there was no cell phones as a player, right? And then in my ninth year, I remember getting traded to the Clippers, and a couple of guys had phones, and then I got one. That was back when you carried this big box. Uh, now, <laughs> now. When you come into halftime, you see guys on their cell phones, you know, looking at stats because I don't allow stat sheets in the locker room. So uh, they're looking at stats or they're talking to their agents or to their wives or to, you know, it's amazing. The outside world now can get to your players during the game uh, or before the game. Well, that wasn't so when I played. When I walked in the locker room as a player, that was it. I didn't hear from anyone on the outside. It was my coach, Mike Fratello at the time when I was a rookie, and the players. Now, when you walk in the locker room, up until 35 on, on the clock, most guys, uh, or not most, I would say the majority of guys, at some point, they're going to pick up their cell phones and look at it. Uh, it can be a message from their agents. Uh, when you're looking at it at halftime, and if it's not stat sheets, I always tell my coaches, whatever news they're getting is not in our favor. It, it is, <laughs> it is, it's, there's no one is telling him you should pass more. Uh, no, no, no one's telling you, you know why you're not playing? Because you didn't play defense hard enough. You know, it's none of that. <laughs> so I call it the bad, news, the bad news phone because at halftime, it's only bad news for us coming out of that phone. It's interesting, too, because you have to decide as a coach in, in, in the modern era, am I going to be the coach that says no phones? You know, am I going to be that guy like the old school guy like, hey, you know, no phones because it's really unrealistic. Right. So you 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 got to give them some leeway. So I just try to to use some humor with it. I know they're going to be on their phones, but, you know, I'll just walk in and, you know, say something like, hey, fire off your your last tweets. You know, we got to meet or, you know, so, something, you know, something just to try to shame them a little bit, you know, so that they kind of realize, oh, yeah, it's kind of kind of game time. But I'm not going to be the coach to, to establish the no cell phone rule two hours before the game because I don't think that would work these days. 
Oh, it won't work. And, and college coaches can do it, right? It's funny when I'm yeah. talking to college coaches, they'll all say, tell them to put their phones up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. talking to grown men that have kids now, you know? Right. So I think, yeah, but I do the same thing. I think sarcasm is very important in our job or, or if we can be funny, uh, trying to be funny. I always say, tell her I said, hi, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I say all kinds of stuff walking in. <laughs> Um, uh, and just to get the message across and yeah. you know what happens though, right. When you say that everyone laughs and they put their phones up, but That's the right. message is sent and they still know, like, I'm sure with you, when you walk in, especially at halftime, you can see them scrambling and try to put the phone up. So they That's know right. they shouldn't do it, uh, but they still do it. Yeah. We, we use our, our players a little bit, you know, in that opportunity, because uh, there's always a guy that will he'll side with you at some time. It's not always the same guys, but they'll side with you to give a guy a hard time. Any chance they got to give somebody a hard time or to, to rip somebody, they'll look for the op. But it, it is really, it's crazy that how how tuned in. I mean, it's like automatic. It's like just a mechanism. They're going right to their information. They want to know what's going on. It could be anything. You know, I don't think our guys are checking the stock market, but they could be. You know, they could be going, they're checking their stocks or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're keeping track of the world somehow. So, Doc, I want to I want to uh, ask you a little bit about your background uh, growing up in Chicago. Um, all I've heard is that I, I know your father was a policeman. That's all I know. I don't know yeah. anything about what your daily life was like. What's your What's your uh, memory of your your childhood was like? Can I ask you about that just to uh, kind of set the stage for a conversation about what's happening socially now? Is particularly. Uh, with uh, this, the uh, conversation of police brutality. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a normal childhood, you know, Steve. Uh, my dad was a cop, and uh, my dad was also the football coach, the basketball coach, the baseball coach in the neighborhood. You know, lower middle class, probably worse than that. I just didn't realize it at the time because when you're growing up, you know, Maywood is a tough little town, right? It's, um, you know, it's really tough now. And, and growing up, you don't, know that you're growing up poor or middle class or low you just don't you just know your neighborhood great neighborhood maywood it's a um provisory's high school is this high school that just keeps producing basketball players i think at last count there's 11 nba players to come out of a high school from a local area no rec no recruiting wow. just a local area and you know basketball was huge growing up my uncle jim brewer played in the nba and so for me I had a role model that I could see in the neighborhood. He was the first one. I saw someone that made it out of Maywood to become an NBA player. Dead very tough. I had a, my dad was uh, just, a, he was a, he was big as me. He was tough. He was the first black athlete to go to Westland, Kentucky for a baseball oh. scholarship. And that was actually his love was baseball. I mean, I played baseball up through high school. And then right when I found that I was a good basketball player, I could no longer hit the baseball because I was scared of it. <laughs> and when that happens, it's time to get out, you know? Um, but Maywood was an interesting area because it was split. Proviso East was basically 50, 50 for a long time. You know, by the time I got to high school, it was 75% black uh, and Hispanic, then 25% white. But in the 60s, there were major race riots at Proviso East that led the news, the national news. And as a kid, I got to sit on my steps and watch the state police line from First Avenue to 17th, where the whites walked on one side of the street and the blacks walked on the other side of the street. And you can see the, the, you know, the bricks, the bottles being thrown back and forth. Um, and it took mm -hmm. a, a basketball team to stop the race riots. So I got an early education in race in 1969. I think I was eight years old uh, or seven years old. Uh, my uncle Jim Brewer won the state title. And in that state title, they had one, one guard, Pete Moseas, that was white. Uh, and the other four guys were black. They win the state title and everyone storms the court and they forgot that they were fighting. Everyone forgot that there was a race riot going on. And it immediately, instantly stopped that was the last day of the riots uh which i found really interesting that even as a little kid i was dumb enough or smart enough to know wow that's cool you know yeah. and, and as you got older you kind of realized that so uh but overall loved my childhood uh 
two parents, and which was very important in our neighborhood. My dad was the parent to about all my friends. You know, a lot of people didn't have fathers. Uh, you know, when I grew up, my dad was probably the father for all my friends. It, Doc, when the, the when you have the opportunity to share those stories of, of your background and all, are, are you? Do you shy away from doing that, or are you quick to do that? Or, or I know you probably recognize in your players similar stories, stuff which we've we've surfaced in through all of our discussions and time together. Are, are you an advocate of guys sharing those kinds of backgrounds and in, in your own personally with your guys? Yeah, I'm very personal uh, with my players. It's funny, uh, Pete. When I when I first got the job in coaching, I got calls from coaches and told me, um, "Hey, get close, but not too close." you know, uh, to your players, you don't want to get too close. And, and, um, I found out early on that that was wrong advice. Uh, I think, um, as a coach, at least in my opinion, you get as close as you can to them. Uh, you care for them. Uh, you try to give them as much love as you can. And I, I've learned over the years, you're going to get your heart broken, uh, sometimes by that. I mean, because you will give them all and, Sometimes they love you back uh, and sometimes they don't. Uh, but even if they don't, you still should. And uh, I think we, you know, we forget that coaching means teaching, you know, and I think our jobs are to teach uh, more than basketball uh, to give advice about life. I've gotten in trouble, honestly, with a couple of players where I just didn't like the way they were living their lives. And I thought that I needed to have a discussion with them and they didn't like me anymore. Uh, because I said that and I look back on that and I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, some did think it was, uh, they would thank you later. You know how that, that goes, but yeah, I share my background. I share my history. You know, um, I've been through a lot of stuff with race. Uh, Chicago is just an extremely segregated city, especially, uh, when I grew up, you know, in Maywood, you were safe. You walk right across the border to Merrill's Park or Oak Park. Uh, it depend on if you were walking and the police or whoever didn't want to bother you. Uh, but there are many times they did, and you had to deal with that. Uh, you know, I, I get to Marquette. I, I marry a lady, Chris Rivers, who was white. And um, I get my house burned down, which Steve knows, in, in San Antonio uh, by skinheads, you know. Um, and you know, that was a brutal day for me and, and my family. Um, so, and then I, from there you go to the Sterling stuff. Uh, you just go through life um, as an American, but especially a black American. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You can be poor. You're still black. You can be middle-class. You're still black and you can be rich and you're still black. Uh, the difference is when you become a coach or an athlete, someone will give you a mic. And so you have an opportunity to say, uh, say it. And, and so I do, I think it's very important for my players. You know, it's funny when the Sterling thing came out, I remember walking into the room with the players and they all had their arms folded. Um, and you know how that look is like, they don't, they're basically saying they don't want to hear your crap right now. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, and I couldn't get through for about five minutes. And then I put my blue pad down. I carry a little pad uh, with me everywhere. I put it down on the table. And I said, okay, uh, my name is Glenn Rivers. I'm from Maywood. And I'm black. And this is my life. And I share stories. And as I start sharing stories, everyone unfolded their arms. Because as a coach, sometimes they forget, you know, what, what you are. And they just look at you as a coach. and so. Yeah, I think it's important uh, to remind them where you're from. I think we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. You know, uh, we talked about it with Greg Popovich last week as white coaches um, and as as basically just as white people. I think there's there's finally an understanding now, at least as far as, as I can see in society, that white people have to do more. And, and for white coaches – as much as we think we know that our black athletes go through, we don't really know, you know, and, and pop pop referenced that. And there was a great article in the uh, New York times. Yeah. That Sunday. was a great article. 
And I love the way he put it as only pop can. You know, he said, he said, you think you know so much talking to himself. He said, you think you know so much. You're a privileged son of a bitch. You don't know anything. And, and that hit home because we, as coaches, we, you know, we try to connect, we try to understand everybody, but we couldn't, those of us who are white couldn't possibly just simply put ourselves in a black man's shoes and say, okay, I get it, but it's imperative to try. I think that's the most important thing right now. It's imperative to try. And I think that involves telling stories, sharing knowledge, sharing feelings, um, you know, sharing things that maybe we haven't shared before because, you know, you, out of shot, being shy, being reluctant to, you know, reveal things about yourself. I think everybody's got to really share their, their stories, their past and go from there. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Steve, I, um, I did it uh, last week with my players. I was shocked at what I didn't know. You know, Ty Lu has been a coach. On, uh, I coached Ty Lue. He's been a coach with me in Boston. He went on to win a title, was coaching me with the Clippers. He told a story that blew my mind. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm his friend, and I didn't know this story. You know, And so it's amazing with all of us. I think we all have to educate black and white. I, I think white has to educate as far as understanding the impact. Uh, of of slavery and and just where it put all of us, you know. Uh, but I think blacks have to understand it as well. And I think we all are on a journey right now. Can you imagine the story uh, that the NFL players and the NBA players could tell if they just put a microphone and said, "Tell me about your life," yeah. and and they and they made it a movie or something? It would be the most powerful thing, and it'd be shocking to all of us. You know, Doc, th this is such a, a rich time because this is the best time we've ever had to get as deep as we have ever gone before. And we're so fortunate that, because I've been trying for years, I couldn't figure out how to get the conversation going. We struggled. I told a story back away, the ways when we were playing the Titans a few years ago, and we just, it was at the time when all, you know, it all hit the fan. And we tried to address the issues when the first time the Black Lives Matter statement came out. And, and our players didn't know, nobody knew uh, really what it meant at the time. It means so much more now. The, the avenues for conversation, the the willingness to, to to go deep, and really exactly what you're saying, the willingness to share the stories, that's how the connections are open to be made, where we can relate on a different level, and we can understand and empathize on a different level, that gives us a chance to bring us together more. So it is one of the big divides, is white people don't know the stories. They don't know what's going to Maybe they didn't want to know, maybe they missed it when somebody told it. Maybe it felt too uncomfortable, so they didn't listen. I don't know. But it's so important that these stories are shared openly so the conversation can get deeper and so that we can feel one another so much more. Steve, one thing I want to mention, that if you notice, Doc went to the same topic about how he relates to his players. And you felt at the times, Doc, that you were going too far. Your older coaches told you, hey, you're getting too close to guys. Exactly the same thing happened to me. We have come across a couple of guys, Dave Roberts brought it up and, and it, Pop brought it up too, about how important it is for us to relate to our players. Well, really, Doc, you know, that's really how important it is for us to relate to everybody, really, is what this is. It tells us, because we have had this wonderful experience to, to mix around and with the world and understand more so and getting into more depth. But this is what has to take place for us that for other people who don't have that opportunity to ever have a chance to relate. And so uh, it's a rare time. And uh Doc, what you have done and where you've come from and what, what you stand for is so crucial right now. We, we, as you need us to do our part too and share how, how closed off we've been and how we haven't known stuff, it's just so important we keep working it. So let's keep yapping. Let's keep talking. Let's keep sharing everything that we can yeah. and just be wide open to everybody and see if we can help out. You know, It's so important for all of us to do that. Uh, and you're right about, wouldn't you love if the world was sports? Like you, you talk about racism. You know, listen, I need a shooter. <laughs> I, if he's green, I'm putting him in. <laughs> no, I don't care. Like, and uh, and you see it. Like, you you know, all of us have been lucky enough uh, to win a championship. And there is no more beautiful thing than the moment you win, the embrace that you feel from your players and your staff. No one's thinking about anything at that moment. Like, it, it's amazing 
to watch. I, I get emotional now when I watch uh, anybody win something and you see all of a sudden they release all that joy from the work that they put in, but there's no race in that. It's just love in that. And, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, that that oneness that comes from that from our sporting experience really does transcend everyday life because that's where the real joy of relationship is all about, you know, and that's where we have to go to really do this well. We can make a lot of statements, we can do a lot of things. We got to keep doing the, the work with the people that we that are right there with us and and love them up and care for them. And, and that will be what where the depth really comes from. So, we're on the right track. Hey Pete, I saw you uh Saturday uh, were, you, you took part in a march in Seattle and Seattle's been kind of the epicenter for uh, a lot of uh, protest uh, this, this last week. And a lot of the national news has, has focused on Seattle. What can you tell us about uh, what's going on up there? Oh boy, this, this city is really, is really alive right now. There was a real great event uh, that a, a couple of the, our players' wives, uh, uh, Natalie Wright and Tiffany Chancellor, uh, set up a, a march in a really short order. They, they, they called it the Bridge to the Future. We walked across the I-90, you know, all the way across and back with the families and had a little ceremony at each end. It was just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful opportunity for people to just stand up and, and, and stand for what's important right now. The, all over the city, there were, there was, Kids marches. There was all kinds of different marches, uh, and and the people are really rising up in, in a great way in a very very diverse manner. But the center of of this thing is all happening right down in there, you know, and and right in town, right around the East Precinct, and and uh, there's a lot of information coming out in the media that shows a lot of the craziness that, that happened like the first night or so. This is really something special now. People are coming for the right reason. They continue to return and come back to show their support and show the intensity of their care. Um, and, and I'm really hoping that uh, Chief Carmen Best and, and uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin can really make the statements right now. This is, We're right at the cusp of it happening. And so these statements are en enormous. And uh, you know, so I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this. It's, it's our players, our community. This, this area is rising up. You guys would, would, you know, you talk about putting a team back here that they, they would be well represented here. It's a fantastic uh, mentality around here. Everything in LA is wild, <laughs> but it's yeah. good, man. It's, it's really good. I don't know if you saw the news yesterday. Uh, the protest was beautiful. Like yeah. every race, every gender, it's just like, it, this has been amazing. And Listen, you know, one of the things I said earlier about my dad being a cop, he was a cop that the community knew, you know, um, and I can I can signal like when Maywood changed was the day that they allowed cops to no longer have to live in the town. You know, when I grew up, yes, yeah. you had to live in the city or in the town that you were governing uh, or that you were a police in. And I, my brother, who still lives in the area, he says, you can see the day Maywood changed was the day you no longer had to live in the area. Um, and now no one knows. You, you tell me that that event in Atlanta, that, that awful murder that you saw, if the cops had known the guy, yeah, that doesn't happen. Like, so, um, you know, That's getting right. involved in the community is very important. My dad did that, you know. And, and you know it was it was different. When this changes, you know it's going to change because of the transformation of the connection of the people that are enforcing the law. And and when they are of the area and they connect exactly like you said, Doc, when they have a relationship with the people that they that they're looking after, it, it's an entirely different uh, relationship. Uh, when when the cops used to walk the beat, you know, and they knew the kids on the corner and they they knew each, there was a different relationship. That happened. There was a time in L.A. a few years back that uh, when they initiated a program where the cops were starting to walk through Watts and they're going through Grape, you know, Grape Street and they were, they were going down 103rd Street and they, were, they would walk the areas and they instead of the kids running from them and hiding from them and them chasing, they just started to develop an, an interaction that was so crucial. That's where, as as there's so much clamor now for re uh, for transformation and and maybe reimagining what law enforcement is all about, um, it, it is going to come back to people from the area representing their area in the different ways that they can and relating on a on a level that is not. It's exactly what you explained. People come from outside. You don't have that reason to care as much. You don't know to yeah. care as much, you know. So this is going to be, this is what's happening in Seattle right now. And I'm hoping that we'll make these big, bold steps and, and uh, do something really, really cool. 
You know, in, in San Francisco, our mayor, London Breed, has just announced a, a policy change with the uh, police department there. Uh, for non-criminal calls, uh, there are no longer going to be policemen that are called. Uh, they're going to be uh, professionals, mental health professionals, social right. workers, which I think is a great start because start. It, it goes right along with what, what you guys are talking about. But Man, does that hit home, Doc? Which what you said about um, you know everybody in the neighborhood knowing your dad, and so I you know as a as a white man, you know one of the things you, we always hear uh, from our coaches who have kids is we have to have that talk, right? We got to have the talk about the police, and that's something that Pete and I have never had to do, right? We've never had to worry about our kids' interaction with the police. So when you're growing up in Chicago. Your dad's a policeman. Did you did you even have to have that talk, or or what, yeah, was, what it, were those dynamics? It was interesting, Steve. My dad, I remember him sitting me and my brother down and saying, "Listen, when you're outside of Maywood, you, you guys have to be careful. You know, yeah. uh, if a police stops you, show your hands, uh, be respectful, um, don't talk back, uh, and get out of the situation." That's what he would tell me all the time, to just yeah. get out of the situation. And, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't get it back then because I'm thinking my dad's a cop. You know, like, what are you talking about? And I knew all his friends who were cops. And he, so he wasn't talking about the local Maywood cops. Right. He was talking about everything outside of that, you know. Um, and it happened. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've been pulled over in my life uh, for driving, uh, <laughs> you know. and. <laughs> And DWB, yeah, yeah, it's it's so real, it's amazing. But while you were in 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 town, you you felt safe while you were in in Maywood. When I was in my little area, I felt safe. Like if yeah. a police car pulled up to me in Maywood, there was a ninety percent chance I can tell you, uh, Sergeant Ho, Willie Boy. I knew their nicknames. I knew them all. Wow. I would yeah. wave. And they would, you know, I was Glenn. Hey, Glenn, how are you? And you would yeah. talk. It's it's like Pete said, when you saw a cop in my neighborhood, you didn't run from him. You ran towards him and you actually talked to him. Mm. When you saw a cop outside of my neighborhood, you ran from him. You know, uh, you, yeah. you were scared of him. Uh, if I, uh, like Maywood was a town, it was circled, just like a town full of blacks circled by a bunch of towns uh, of pretty affluent areas. So to get anywhere, you had to go through one. And, you know, if you're going through Hinsdale uh, or Hillside and you were at a light and a cop pulled up to you, you stared right at the light. You didn't look right. Wow. Uh, and and I'm, I always thought, like, I'm sure I am looking so suspicious right now, but you don't <laughs> want to engage. You just didn't. And you got yeah. uptight. And, and that's every black American anywhere. That's, that's amazing. We we have to, those stories just have to be shared so that there's so many people that just don't know that. And and you know really when you think about it, Steve, growing up as a white kid, when a cop you kind of felt was was kind of looking after you almost. He was kind of going to make sure he was kind of doing what they said to do, serve and protect. Kind of felt like that and until you screwed up and you knew you had done wrong and you have to duck and dodge and hide from him. But in general, you didn't feel like that. There was no, no. relationship to that thought at all, you know, Doc. And, and so. That you can see that there's such a divide in, in in understanding that we have to find ways to bring this together and see if we maybe even we can you know in, in our own expressions and sharing the stories that we know. But God, dog, it's it's just it's really obvious why there's so many problems that we have not been able to address yet. You just said something that was awesome that I I've never heard. You said you know when you were growing up, the cops you felt like were looking out for you. That's uh, that I've never uh, yeah, heard. Yeah, I know. That. You can't even imagine yeah. that. I know. I know. You That's amazing, though. That would be an amazing feeling if that was true. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, listen, maybe that's where we need to go. Yeah. 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 I think uh, I, I do feel positive about the direction our country is going. I know there's a lot that has to change, but I do feel positive looking at the diversity of the protests, the voices, hearing the voices, seeing the stories. The younger generation, we talked about this last week with Pop. Younger generation gets it. You know, they they are so much more in tune with what's happening, uh, and so much more aware, so much more connected. And I feel like they want to go in the right direction, but there's there's a lot that we have to help them change uh, going forward. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, 
I'll say this, and, and I think it's everything's amazing. I have this conversation with my four kids, and, and they're all involved. They're all vocal. And I'd say, you'll show me in November how much you really care. You, you'll show yeah. me when the yeah. when, because listen, we can protest, we can march, we can talk, but we have to vote, and 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 we don't vote. Um, and so, to me, that's the big step right now. And and trust me, and you know this, there's going to be a lot of voter suppression. It's going to be hard to vote. Yeah, really hard. And just yeah. think about it. It's yeah. going to be hard to vote. And and so the vote is so important, and it's also something that our young people have never felt was that important you know we all mm -hmm. coach we have if you ask your players how many voted in the last presidential election you i think we'd be shocked at the number you know yeah. and yeah. we didn't think it was a big deal probably and now as coaches it's our job to make sure that we get them registered we get everybody out to vote and it's not just about the presidency it's about local uh government as well so um now we're understanding why our grandfathers and everybody fought so hard for the right to vote. And, and so now we have to do it. So true. Hey, Doc, some that, that I'm hoping we can, uh, we can stand for here, just come, we can, I can only work with one club here. So I'm trying with our club is that I want our players to be heard. Uh, and I, yeah. I want, I want them to be respected for what they, where they've come from, what they know, their relationship with, with uh, the whole race discussion uh, and in our league, I wish our players were heard more. So they're the ones that made our league happen without the players. It was never going to happen. They'd continue to make it happen today. And, and to me that they, they have the perspective that we need to know and the world needs to hear from. And, and they do have an opportunity. I know we're playing ball and all that, but there is enough time for them to, to share it. And I know, I, I feel like the NBA has done a, a much better job of player representation. And I think it seems like the leadership has, has done, you know, a, a really admirable job. I wish that we could stand for that here coming out of our franchise and, and extend that to other teams. Because I think if we follow the lead of our guys, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to make the yeah. right steps and we're going to get the right word out there. I, I really uh, hold them in the regards. I want, I want them to be heard. I hope we can figure out how to make that happen. I think it's easier for us though, right? It, it is happening. Colin Kaepernick is the one who started all this yeah. and yeah. you know, it wasn't followed uh, right. because the league we missed didn't it. allow we missed it, it to be followed. Yeah. But, you know, it's also easier for, for the NBA uh, in this regard. We don't have helmets on. You know, you know exactly who we are. Uh, and so I do think we do have that advantage over every sport. Baseball has baseball caps on. Football has helmets on. We have underwear on. And, and so you can, you, can see, you can see us completely. And I think that allows our facial recognition to be seen. But I think all of us have to be heard. I think you're right. Yeah, but Pete, I I think the, uh, the the NFL showed its flexibility last week after the advertisement, uh, whatever you call it, uh, the the group of eight players who who put out the ad where they all came out and said the NFL yeah. needs to stand stand up for us, yeah. and immediately immediately Roger Goodell uh, made that announcement and set, sent out the video. So even the NFL now is starting to shift. We saw uh, NASCAR uh, banning the Confederate flag, so. I feel like things. This is a tipping point for sure. But but you you make a great point, Doc. Prove it in November, right? right. Everybody's yeah, got to prove November. it in November, and then yeah. as we go forward, we've got to we've got to continue to try to push policies that reflect our humanity as 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 best we can. You know, and and, uh, and that's yeah. the best way to connect and for for people to to be safe and and uh, live live uh, better lives out there. Um, I want to ask you about your son. You mentioned uh, your kids, and Austin was uh, he in the news yesterday. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of talk about some of the players going back and forth. Are we going to go to Orlando? Or are we not going to go? And uh, I think um, maybe Kyrie Irving came out and expressed some some uh, discomfort yeah. about playing. And then Austin said, at the same time. By playing, that gives us a, a chance to speak out. It, it allows us to make the money we need to make an impact in the communities. I thought that was a really interesting uh, dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, I was very proud of Austin. You know, I, I told him that. I said, finally, 
I have some pride about you, son. I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it was, you know, it's funny. I, and I'm embarrassed to say I was out golfing and I keep getting these texts, you know, wow, love what your son said, love what your son said. Yeah. And as a parent, the first thing you think is, oh, gosh, what did he say? <laughs> uh, and so I read and he was right, in my opinion. Like, listen, I, I think one thing we have to learn in this, you can have deferring opinions and that can be okay. Like, sure. and, and we don't all have to do things the same way and you don't have to tear each other down because you have different opinions. That's why we should, should dialogue. But in this case, um, I, I believe it's so important for us to play. I, I do. I just think at the end of the day, you can march and you can work, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And like most people are marching and working, we can do the same thing. But more importantly, it would give us an opportunity. A lot of us won't have a voice if we don't play. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think if we're allowed to play, then you will have a voice. Uh, everybody will have a voice. Uh, coaches will have a voice. Players will have a voice. The guys who are doing the games, you can start hearing their voice. And I think we have an opportunity here to not only, you know, go and, you know, crown a champion. But we have an opportunity as a league to really put out a great message yeah, and agree. players individually can do it. So I, I'm hoping, obviously, I think we're going to get that chance and I hope that we can handle it and, and do it right uh, because there's going to be a ton of responsibility every day for our guys to say the right thing. And so I love it and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's. I think that's really true, Doc. To keep the guys in position to have the voice. However, we do have to. We got to honor this darn situation that we're in and make sure we're protecting everyone. I won't be surprised if some of the enough of the players say they they're not interested right now in playing. You know, and there's going to be some issues, particularly the guys that make a lot of money and the guys that don't make a lot of money. There's yeah. there's, a, there's some concern there. You know, Peter, are you that. talking about you're, you're talking about because of the 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 health. Conditions, yeah. the, the yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I think that's such a it's such an issue that's still at hand. We don't know the answers yet. We don't have enough information, right. and and uh, we're going to find out information just from what happened with the protesting with so many people that that really sure. weren't able to maintain the distancing. And and what in about a week from now or ten days from now, we're going to see is there a repercussion? I'm hoping I'm hoping that the outdoors uh, situation and yeah. will, and the clear air situation will maybe show us something different about how the exchange of the virus happens but um but we still have to honor that because we got the other side of it doc we got to protect our players too and their families as well you know so we can't go oh, too man. far too fast we got to do it right and 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 be very very strict about it and, and with all due respect and so it, it, what a time what a crazy time man every week we talk about it with, yeah. with guys and we just keep coming back to there's so much happening right now that uh, you know the, the virus is, is still scary uh yeah. obviously and there's spikes in in more markets now you know, I don't know who said it. I think Stan Van Gundy may have said it, that um, it'll be easy to start playing. The, the key will be if we can finish playing. You know, I look at the situation that we're going in. Um, and, and if we do get to Orlando and, and we're there, you know, the, the finals, game seven is October 15th. We're leaving July 10th. Who knows what changes from that time to October 15th. And there's a chance that you don't see family members for a month, two months, maybe. Right. Um, you know, there's just so much unknown. And so whoever does come out of this, I think we have an excellent shot that I have. It's going to take more than normal, <laughs> like a <laughs> uh, focus of patience. And I think everyone has to get ready for, it's not going to be perfect. And I actually think the team that handles that the best as far as when we just get back to the competition will be the team that wins it. You know, I think that and, and Phil Jackson said something on our, uh, we had Phil Jackson, I'm sure Steve told you it was awesome having him talk to the coaches. And someone asked him what would be the difference in any sit togetherness. Like, you know, the teams that like really kind of come together in Orlando and, and drown out the distractions. Can you imagine the distractions mm -hmm. in Orlando to, I need to get off campus. I mean, it's going to be so much stuff that I don't know uh, going in, uh, which is a little unsettling as a coach. 
It's going to be a really interesting tie. This has got to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, challenges of your coaching career, I would think. I mean, you have a, a championship caliber team. You have these crazy circumstances. And yet, if you win a championship this year, it is it is legit and deserved. And I don't care what anybody says, you know, the, the whole asterisk thing, screw that. Anybody who goes and stays in a hotel room in Orlando for three months deserves a championship, right? And this is going to yeah. be tough. This is going to be yeah. tough. But but how do you, what have you been doing to, to prepare your guys for that? Gosh, we talk a lot. Uh, it's <laughs> amazing the conversations we're having because they they have legitimate questions, you know, and the fact that I don't have the answers, Steve, is, is unsettling. It's, it's different yeah. for us. Um, but we talk a lot about team right now. I, I tell you, I've done more team building on Zoom and on, and on individual calls <laughs> than I've ever done in my life because usually you do it in person. And, um, you know, from weight to conditioning to, uh, you know, this whole thing about you're responsible for everybody else on your team. Uh, I mean, it is so important coming into this. I, I jokingly, you know, as Adam said, we don't, we need a trophy for the winner. We need a gold star for a winner. And, you know, it's going to be unusual. The team that wins it, whoever gets the MVP, they're going to ask them, well, you know, hopefully Kawhi Leonard, what are you going to do? And he's going to say, I'm going home. You know, usually you say, I'm going to Disney World. But we're already in Disney World. I'm going home. Like, I want to go home. That's going to be the new, the new speech. That's awesome. Really. Oh, oh, man. man. So uh, one, one thing I, I, we all talk about as coaches and we all have to factor in is kind of the mental health component, right? You know, you, yeah. you, you, have, you have four games in six nights and a, a couple practices there's, we all have that that one day, and it usually comes once a week, once every 10 days, where you go, hey, guys, nobody come into the gym, right? Go play golf, go be with your family, you know, go to the beach, do it, whatever. How, what do you do? What What do you do in Orlando when you're on this campus? How do you – I'm, I'm – Send them to the Magic you know. Kingdom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, Pete, you're right, though. I don't think you can go to Magic Kingdom. Which is amazing. Be, it's not open. <laughs> you know – it, it'll be open, but I don't know if we'll be allowed to go. I don't I'm think so. I'm assuming a golf course because they have so many at Disney will be open, but 90% of the league doesn't golf. So, um, and, and Steve, you're right. Like, it's so important. The mental break, I, I think there's yes. two things. Number one, it's not just the players need a mental break. Usually when I give the, the team a day off, I need a break too. <laughs> no like, doubt. That's the, un, that's the untold story. Like, when we give them a day off, they think it's for them. Half the time it's for us. I don't I don't know the answer. You know, it's funny. I have an assistant who you've met, Anne-Marie, and every day yeah. she brainstorms. She sends me stuff every day. Hey, uh, we want to create a movie room. We want to create a, a social room where uh, we can get different speakers to come. And then I said, well, they can't come. You know, and so <laughs> yeah. then you say, well, can they speak to us through video? And so I can tell you, we're working on trying yeah. to establish like activities. It's like we're on a cruise ship, you know, right. and you've got to figure out different activities that, to keep everybody mentally sharp. And, and that's going to, you know, we're not going to be in a room playing, uh, trying to put together a puzzle or anything like that. But we we're, we're, I know as a fact in our team room, we're ordering ping pong tables, pool tables, video games. We're doing everything possible to try to create a normal life. And I don't know yeah. if that's going to work. Doc, we're coming up with, uh, we're finishing, eight, I think it's week eight right now in the virtual offseason for the NFL, you know, and, and uh, so we've been going through, I mean, day in and day out coming up. We're just taxing ourselves in every way we can to be as creative as possible to maintain uh, interaction, relationship, proactivity, uh, uh, in, entertainment, fun and games. We've told a, got a ton of stories about personal personal issues and gone into such depth there it, it takes everything you can think of i th i think you had everything you can you've ever been resourceful for you got to come up with everything and you need all the help and having you know an assistant that helps you all that stuff i know i do uh we're just trying every way we can and that's i think that's that's going to be part of who wins it's it's going to who, who did the best and like steve was saying relating to his team keeping your team on track keeping them together and and 
keeping them kind of balanced as they handle all of the challenges of this new stuff, you know? Yeah. You, you think about, we have to pick our staff. Like we can't bring a whole staff. It's amazing. There's four or five coaches on my staff that will not be allowed. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. To, to go. Wow. And, uh, there, there's this one thing right now we may have to make a choice between the 17th player and one more staff member, you know, to go, uh, the medical staff, you're leaving therapists back. You're leaving. So, you know, it's funny. I, I'm looking at all the guys that can do more than one thing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're also looking at guys on our coaching staff that are good social guys that, that, that have the ability to talk to your players better um, over guys who may be able to do something else better. You know, it's amazing the decisions we, we're going to have to make going there. And I know we talked a little bit uh, this morning on a coach's call, Doc. Are you are you getting any information from the league as far as when teams are eliminated and then save you know eighty players and coaches leave and go back to their homes? Are you are you going to be allowed to bring in another staff member or two or another player or anything like that? Have you heard anything from the league? No, we've heard nothing, but we're hopeful. You know, I can't yeah. imagine, you know, you think about it, six teams leave on the first wave. Uh, that's like 274 players that, that'll be leaving campus if each team is able to bring three more staff members. And if you kept that number to three, uh, if you kept doing it, by the time you get to the finals, if you get to the finals, you probably have your whole staff uh, mm-hmm. yeah. there and, and you probably will want them there. So um, we're just all hopeful right now that that can happen. But again, the one thing I, I, I keep going back to is we can't complain. We have to have the mindset of if it's not fair, it's not fair for all of us. And the teams that are able to embrace that will be the successful teams. I, and yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I believe so too. Yeah. If you're looking for a metaphor of how to get through the pandemic, um, Winning an NBA championship is a is a is a pretty good way to look at it. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be smart. You're going to have to stick together. You're going to have to do all of the above and get a little lucky. And and uh, and Doc, I just want to say good luck. It, it's been uh, it's been so much fun to have you on, and and always have admired you so much from afar. And getting to know you the last few years, uh, you know, just coaching together in the league and. Uh, Man, what a story. Uh, great to hear about your background and your, your, your family and uh, just great stuff, great wisdom, knowledge for our listeners. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, I'll say this, Steve uh, and Pete. Pete, I've been a, a huge fan. Uh, I, was, I was pissed when you left USC because I loved you there. And, <laughs> and I was so, so happy for you in Seattle. And Steve, I liked you a lot more this year than I've liked you in the past year. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, you, were, you were so much nicer this year. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, right back at you, Doc. You were way nicer the last couple of years. <laughs> hey, good luck, Doc. Thanks for sharing with us. Really appreciate it. All right. It. Good luck in Orlando. Okay. Take care, guys. Nice to see you.